0: From Podcast
1: One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Remember those mysterious sonic attacks on diplomats in Cuba? Well, now there are reports in China of similar activities happening. But we're also learning more about what most likely drove or was responsible for those attacks in Cuba
0: it seems very much like a portable audio device. Uh, I guess the easiest way to visualize it would be, think of a parabolic dish that is used during an NFL game to listen, yeah. only reverse the, the audio and you've got the perfect, perfect directional weapon.
1: Chris Simmons, a former counterintelligence officer with the US Army and the Defense Intelligence Agency for more than 20 years with deep experience in Cuba.
0: There's never been a report of a large group of people over an extended area sickened. It's always been a family at this location or an individual in this apart in this hotel room. So it's very focused, very short term, yeah. and that goes to the way audio works. It's, it's you know, if you, you could do if they wanted to permanently damage someone, all they would have to do is intensify the noise level to about 170 decibels. But a lower, long, longer term signal would cause the illness, the nausea, everything else that we've heard about.
1: That's coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C.
0: This is Target USA.
1: Russia. Could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist.
0: D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack.
1: Cyber criminals.
0: Decryption successful.
1: America has a target on its back, and on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On August 9th, 2017, CBS News correspondent Steve Dorsey broke the story that U.S. diplomats in Havana, Cuba, had been sickened by a mysterious illness that no one could put their finger on. At the time, there were few answers about what happened. Doctors determined they were likely suffering from some kind of ultrasonic device. But since then, other possibilities have arisen, some of them plausible, some of them not so much. But one of them, that is very much likely, was brought to our attention by Chris Simmons. He's a retired supervisory counterintelligence officer from the Defense Intelligence Agency, and he also served in a similar capacity in the Army. With deep experience related to Cuba, he spoke to us to talk about what he believes happened.
0: I really wasn't surprised by the event. I mean, Cuba has long worked with what they, what the Russians used to call and trained them in something called radio-electronic combat. Mm-hmm. And so they're very skilled with the defensive use of radio-electronic com- mm-hmm. combat, which is essentially intercepting other people's communications, right. as well as the offensive use, whether it's jamming, are using the, making, the, making the audio waves more directional to cause illness and injury to others.
1: So what I hear you saying is this is something that the Cubans have been working on for a while.
0: Well, anyone that has, yes, anyone that has experience with eavesdropping equipment in whatever form, it's very simple to reverse the direction instead of receiving transmit. And once you're doing that, all you have to do is make it more directional to increase the intensity of the audio beam. So do you believe what took place was intentional? Yes, it's hard for me to imagine, given the number of people, the number of locations affected, and most of the incidents involved U.S. Diplomats and their families, as well as Canadian diplomats and their families. So you're looking at on one hand the United States as Cuba's biggest adversary and Canada as Cuba's biggest trading partner. So from Cuba's perspective, it makes it made total sense to provoke their biggest rival and their biggest biggest partner just to keep everybody in line.
1: In terms of what we were hearing From some experts that this might have been something that a rogue nation had engaged in some other uh, power uh, like the Russians. You don't buy that.
0: No, not at all. The idea that a rogue nation is operating anywhere in Cuba is impossible for me to conceive. You know, Cuba is not even a police state. It is the ultimate surveillance state. When you add in not just the intelligence services, but the what they call the Committees in Defense of the Revolution, of which one in 10 members of Cuba are belong to, you've got the largest surveillance system ever. And the idea that some nation could operate without Cubans' knowledge is laughable. And if we take the other, the devil's advocate perspective and say, would the Cubans allow it? What would be the benefit to Cuba of allowing a Russian operation, especially if it goes rogue, to occur or went, went badly, I, would, I should say? There, there's no gain for them unless it's, of course, Cuban-directed against Cuban, traditional Cuban targets.
1: Is this, do you believe that this operation or this weapon uh, that was used uh has ceased to operate um because periodically what i've heard in the last few months and this is may 16th 2018 and what i've heard since this all started is periodic reports that other people have been sickened or are reporting being sickened by what took place do you think this weapon this operation is still active
0: if you're looking at a, from all the accounts we've heard, it seems very much like a portable audio device. Uh, I guess the easiest way to visualize what would be think of a parabolic dish that is used during an NFL game to listen. Yeah. Only reverse the the audio and you've got the perfect perfect directional weapon. So something like that. When we're looking at, there's never been a report of a large group of people over an extended area sickened. It's always been a family at this location or an individual in this. Apartment part in this hotel room so it's very focused very short term yeah and that goes to the way audio works it's as soon as you you could do if they wanted to permanently damage someone all they would have to do is intensify the noise level to about 170 decibels but a lower long longer term signal would cause the illness the nausea everything else that we've heard about
1: So why would the Cubans want to do this? Because I heard what you said earlier about the U.S. being an adversary and Canada being its biggest trading partner. But why would they want to take this step now? Because the U.S. had essentially, to some degree, normalized relations with Cuba. And, of course, Canada is simply trading with them, um, which is not a bad thing at all. So what 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 provoked this?
0: The view from from Havana is very different. It's easy for us to look at it from an American perspective and ask the question you're asking, you know, what would be their motive? But to change direction and say, all right, in Cuba, two men with the last name Castro ran the nation for 59 years and their loyalists are still in power. So regardless of the fact they have a new president, the old national security structure remains intact. And so they have a very visceral hatred hatred of the United States. On a, on a level that's hard for us to understand, but some quick historical examples I think come to mind, one being right after 9-11, when the entire world was willing to help us on anything we needed. Cuba instead ran low-level agents called provocations into embassies around the world, claiming they had information for the CIA regarding the you know our forthcoming war on terror. And all they did was tie up our resources with people they probably spent two weeks training and giving tidbits of yeah. Mm-hmm of a wide range of in na- that Cuban national security issues just to waste our time and energy. Mm-hmm. But that's a level of hatred they have for us. And it, they repeated that again shortly thereafter when four Afghan nationals were found in Cuba. They had been under Cuban surveillance since their arrival and in an in area an where you would think that would have been the perfect moment for the Cubans to arrest them, turn them over to the US authorities and be a hero. Instead, they put them on a boat and dumped them into Caymans. Because the idea of actually cooperating with the United States is impossible for the old guard. Mm-hmm. In their mind, the United States exists for one reason. The U.S. embargo and U.S. and the CIA are there to blame every failure of the Cuban economy, every failure of the Cuban revolution, I should say. But Chris, do you
1: would you agree that this is um, going too far by... Harming people physically, I mean, I understand the the level of hatred you're talking about uh, but do you do you do you agree that um, they've taken a step that perhaps nobody's taken before they haven't taken before, and the step that they've taken may have opened a door that um, is only gonna usher in some pretty serious consequences for
0: them they uh- I would say, based on my knowledge of how they think, they would ne- they would see the world very different. What they would see is the use of audio weapons is minor compared to what they have done. And I say that because Cuba is an intelligence trafficker, and in every U.S. military operation since Grenada, they have warned our enemy of details of our invasion plans, whether it's B-52 strikes, stealth fighters, stealth bomber strikes, uh, details on where we were landing in Panama, the forces. They warned our adversaries of every military operation since 1983 with the hope of getting Americans killed. My old nemesis Ana Montez yeah. <laughs> was pre-briefing special forces teams going downrange into El Salvador and then giving their information to the Cubans for passage to the Salvadoran guerrillas, again, with the expectation that they would get killed. So the idea that the, an audio weapon is something threatening to them, they would laugh at the concept because they've done their best and su- successfully, and uh, In 1987, shortly after Ana Montes visited the headquarters of the 4th Infantry Brigade in El Salvador, four weeks later it was overrun and their American advisor and 69 Salvadoran soldiers killed. And she helped provide them the information. So for Cuba, coming from that kind of background, with no repercussions in their mind at all to any of this that they've done, why would they flinch at doing an audio weapon? There's no consequence. There never has been when they attacked the United States.
1: And speaking of Ana Montes, for those who are listening that are not familiar with her, uh, Ana Montes, I read the book, The True Believer. And uh, Ana Montes was a Puerto Rican who was working in the U.S. intelligence community for years and rose to a fairly high level uh, and was working as a spy right here in Washington, D.C. and other places in fact, lived less than a mile from the station where we're talking from now, down in what's what's called Cleveland Park here in Washington. Uh, and that was one of the, the drop, uh, drop locations or con- communications points for her with her C- Cuban handlers, who eventually got caught and uh, is now in prison. And I'm wondering if you would, uh, you, you called her your old nemesis. Why did you say that?
0: My deputy and I were there at the start of the, the Montez investigation, and it was our role to play Cuban intelligence. So when we were working with our investigators, constructing her 16-year espionage career, we were the ones that, for example, could look at her, her travel history and say, this fit Cuban methodology, and here's how and why, and here's what we believe this travel pattern means. And you know, just every aspect of her behavior, what she was collecting, what she was writing, how she was spinning it, we were able to do all that, and then, of course, after the arrest, spent almost eight months debriefing her. So her, in her mind, she believed that she was on the side of you know justice, that we had somehow provoked Cuba, and that only by betraying her country could she help make things right. And I remember during the debriefing, we asked her, "Did you feel? Did she feel any? Did she have any regrets? You know, looking back now in hindsight, did you did you have any re- regret regrets about betraying your country for 16 years?" And her answer was yes, I regret the pain and suffering this caused my mother. She was unconcerned about soldiers she had tried to get killed. She was unconcerned that information she had given to Cubans. She knew part of which went to Moscow, part of which went to dictator Manuel Noriega, to guerrillas in El Salvador, who knows where else. She had no remorse at all about any of that.
1: We're talking to former DIA Supervisory Counterintelligence Officer Chris Simmons about what he believes happened to U.S. diplomats in Havana who suffer from what was believed to be a sonic device. Simmons believes it was an eavesdropping device that was intentionally used to sicken the diplomats. And when we come back, as you may already know, there was a similar incident in China recently. We'll talk about China's links to the Cuban regime and perhaps parallel motivations.
0: You think of the geopolitics of we would never allow China to build a satellite intercept station in Cuba. But for them to be sent, for example, from what we know from defectors, they have about four dozen staff permanently assigned to Havana at call, And all the Cubans do is they've got the shopping list from Beijing. They provide Beijing a daily fee of everything answering their needs. And they get compensated in whatever manner, possibly the quarterly weapon shipments that we always hear about. Who knows how else? But that has given China the plausible Deniability, they needed that and more when we come back
1: on Target USA,
0: the National Security Podcast.
1: I'm JJ Green, and this is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. On Wednesday, may 23rd the u.s mission in china issued a health alert located in Guangzhou. it read like this a u.s government employee in china recently reported subtle and vague but abnormal sensations of sound and pressure the u.s government is taking these reports seriously and has informed its official staff in china of this event we do not currently know what caused the reported symptoms and we are not aware of any similar situations in China, either inside or outside of the diplomatic community. According to CBS's Steve Dorsey and David Martin, the employee of the U.S. consulate was left with mild traumatic brain injury and was sent home in April. The U.S. embassy and consulates in China have held town meetings to give employees a chance to ask questions. The source of the injury, like the situation in Havana, Is not clear, and the State Department is not saying much about any of it. We asked on May 17th, in fact, if there were any new updates on the Havana investigation, and State Department spokesperson Noel Clay told us, we still do not have definitive answers on the source or cause of the attacks. The investigation is ongoing. We also spoke with John Babcock, spokesperson from Global Affairs Canada, Canadian diplomats have been impacted in Havana as well. He said the investigation is ongoing. There have been no new incidents reported and no new symptoms since October of 2017. The cause remains unknown. All of those affected are receiving appropriate medical follow up. We now continue our conversation with Chris Simmons, and you will remember earlier in this podcast, he talked about a woman named Ana Montez who was a U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency employee who was a spy for Cuba. But as you will hear as we move forward, Cuba was not the only country to benefit from her efforts. And as we talk about who benefited from Cuba's intelligence collection, China comes into the picture.
0: Russia were, they were the one of many beneficiaries of what Anna Montes was able to provide because when she was committing her espionage, she was pragmatic enough that she almost never took documents out of the building. She would, in this day and age where all the information is at your fingertips, she was able to go through uh, essentially the first page of major publications, what we would call the key judgments. It's a summary of everything within the, the entire document. So she would go through the key judgments. Uh, of CIA publications, National Security Agency publications, everybody else on a daily basis, memorize it, regurgitate it into her encryption program and send it back to Cuba, knowing that they would do whatever they felt needed to support the revolution. And so she was, her placement and access made her invaluable. And we believe she was one of the top 10 Cuban penetrations of the U.S. government ever.
1: Do you think that there's somebody like her now, here, engaged and involved on behalf of the Cubans, based on what took place regarding these diplomats uh, last year, being sickened by this mentality that you talked about, uh, which is this hatred of the U.S., you believe that there are possibly people working now that are facilitating or helping them facilitate their behavior, the, the Cuban intelligence?
0: Oh, absolutely. And it's there are two factions at work here when we look at Cuban intelligence. One is the visceral hatred of the old guard, and the other is the theft of, and sale or barter of U.S. secrets. We know from refugees and emigres is one of the largest revenue streams supporting the Cuban economy. And shortly after the breakup of the Soviet Union, we know that the Castros allowed the intelligence services, which the intelligence services, along with the military, run, for example, the entire tourism sector of Cuba. Well, they were allowed to recycle profits from the tourism sector back into their own budget. And in doing so, it gave the national security apparatus, made them economically tied to the survival of the status quo. And so it's reasonable to believe that if they were allowed to do that with the tourism sector, that surely they would do that with the sale of U.S. secrets. Because when you look at Cuba's placement, for example, they have a intercept station called Call. You think essentially Think of it as Cuba's answer to NSA Uh that can collect signals from northern Canada to the tip of Argentina. And so we know, for example, after the Russians pulled out, the Chinese moved in. And so you think of the geopolitics of we would never allow China to build a satellite intercept station in Cuba. But for them to be sent, for example, from what we know from defectors, they have about four dozen staff permanently assigned to Havana at Behu call. And all the Cubans do is they've got the shopping list from Beijing. They provide Beijing a daily fee of everything answering their needs and they get compensated in whatever manner, possibly the quarterly weapon shipments that we always hear about, who knows how else. But that has given China the plausible deniability they needed and reduced their costs because the Cubans were already collecting it. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that whether it's human spies or their base in Behu call, Cuba is in a perfect position to traffic U.S. secrets because so many Americans don't see them as a threat. And even within our counterintelligence services, we're always chasing the Russians, the Chinese, the, the big players. And this has always allowed the Cubans to steal us blind. Sure. And they've been doing it for 59 years and they will continue to do it indefinitely.
1: So in other words, um, it would not have been in China's interest for the U.S. and Cuba to resolve their differences and start to work together because there's the possibility that the U.S., Well, I wouldn't say find out about this because I'm sure U.S. intelligence has to already know about this. I mean, obviously, you're a former uh, intelligence officer and you know about it, so I'm sure the government knows about it. But it wouldn't have been in China's interest for the U.S. to develop a closer relationship with with Havana uh, at the risk of this going away.
0: The, I would argue that it's actually a more strategic issue than that. The the Chinese are very good partners for them. They they've been partners for in many realms for for a long time. They're a huge trading partner. They are great intelligence allies and a client. But for for Cuba's old guard, there is no benefit to closer negotiate to closer relations with the United States. There there is no upside at all in any conceivable fashion because so we represent the worst of everything and. And for example, the Cubans, you'll hear Cuba talk about, they would love to see the end of the embargo. That's one of the greatest lies of the revolution, because if we actually ended the embargo, they would have nothing to blame the failures on. Mm -hmm. So they need this perpetuation of the status quo so that they always have an enemy and they have an endless supply of secrets to keep the economy going. And if there is to be a change in one day, it'll be a slow, gradual progression. I would anticipate along the lines of, of what happened in Russia, where You know, when Russia evolved, everything went into the hands of, a lot went into the hands of the intelligence services. But we already had that situation in Cuba. It just hasn't progressed over to a privatization.
1: Does this operation, in your mind, continue? Will it happen again?
0: I would expect it will happen again, more as an annoyance measure. Or if if they believe, for example, that they need to pressure the Canadians, or they suspect someone's a, a CIA CIA officer, they would do it against isolated targets. But again, for them, it's just one of many many weapons they can use. It's, and going back to our earlier point, there's no consequence, so why wouldn't they use it?
1: Interesting. All of this is extremely fascinating. Chris Simmons, is there anything you want to add that I haven't asked you about that you think is important?
0: Yes, I, th- I think when we when we talk about relations with Cuba, we need to stop mirror imaging and projecting our values onto their thinking. And, uh, for example, for the longest time after when Alan Gross got rolled up by the Castro regime, I did an interview with the Miami Herald within a couple hours of his arrest. And the Herald asked me, why did I think they did it? And I told him they did it because they're going to tra- trade him for some of their imprisoned spies, which they ultimately did. It just took several years. But I was convinced at the time they would do that because the Cubans, they have no respect for the American government and they are so brazen in the way they work against us. For example, when we were negotiating under the Obama administration, when we were negotiating the opening of relations, the woman heading the Cuban delegation within the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is a lady named Josefina Vidal. We threw her out of this country for espionage. Her deputy was an officer named Gustavo Machin who we threw out of this country for espionage in retaliation for Montes. Machin later went on to become the first ambassador to Pakistan. Vidal is now serving as ambassador to Canada. So from, again, from Havana's perspective, here we threw out some of their s- senior spies. They put them under essentially no cover within their version of the State de- the State Department, had them negotiate relations with us and the freeing of a spot of Alan Gross, who they claimed was a spy. And they oversaw a penetration of the National Reconnaissance Office, which was kept very, the news of which was kept minimal during the negotiations, and everybody on the Cuban side got promoted. So that that's the kind of thinking from Havana. It's very intelligence-centric. It is first, last, and always a, a national security state. And so when we send diplomats, they send spies. And as long as they do that, and they will continue to do that, we will never come out ahead on any negotiation with them.
1: Wow. All of this is amazing stuff. Thank you, Chris Simmons, for uh, breaking it down and connecting the dots for us.
0: My pleasure. Happy to help.
1: Chris Simmons, former DIA supervisory counterintelligence officer. He believes the Cuban government, Cuban intelligence to be more specific, used some type of audio eavesdropping device to hurt or to target U.S. diplomats in Havana. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up on our next program, we go back to the man who started it all on Target USA. ISIS has a very, very uh, malignant and malign intent towards the West and towards the United States. But they don't have uh, the capability, fortunately, at least at this point, uh, in terms of destructive
0: power that Russia has.
1: That was James Clapper, Director of National Intelligence at the time, on March 3rd, 2016, and his comments came eight months before the U.S. knew what Russia was trying to do with the U.S. election. He sounded the alarm well before Russia's election interference plot was exposed. Russia, in contrast, has huge capabilities, which, if they chose to unleash, could render huge harm to this country. And in a brand-new interview about his new book, Facts and Fears, James Clapper talks about that Russia problem, and he talks about his current concerns and worries moving forward about the country when it comes to Russian interference. But the hardest part of all this, uh, J.J., is... Uh, getting the public to understand what the Russians are doing understand how massive the effort is that they've made and that they will continue to do that and they absolutely positively must be more questioning uh, more inquisitive about things that they read or hear that's coming up on our next episode of Target USA thank you for listening and thank you for your support please subscribe to our podcast And also, let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at WTOP.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at WTOP.com. I'm JJ Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. If you like this podcast, check out Reasonable Doubt, Every Saturday at Podcast One, world-renowned criminal defense lawyer Mark Garagos reveals the latest in our nation's most high-profile legal cases with podcast king Adam Corolla. And he examines how changes in the legal system affect you. Check out Reasonable Doubt at Podcast One and Apple Podcast. Also, remember to rate and review. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.